This is Why Libertarian, the show dedicated to telling the stories of libertarians new and old, promoting libertarian values, and fighting against authoritarians, statists, feds, and anyone else who would like to steal your liberty and freedom. I am Matthew Strzok, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this episode. Enjoy. Boom! We are live. It's Tuesday. It's 5 o'clock Eastern, our usual time slot. That will be changing in the future. Keep an eye out for that. I am Matt. This is Why Libertarian. If you are new, welcome. Uh, If you are returning, uh, welcome as well. Thank you for coming back. Uh, We are live every single Tuesday at 5 p.m., bringing you your weekly dose of liberty live. Awesome, like tons to talk about. Uh, Awesome guest setup for today. Really quick kind of like housekeeping stuff. As usual, like, comment, subscribe, share. Uh, Definitely, if you are not like watching this on YouTube, but you have a YouTube account, please throw me a sub on YouTube. I'm trying to get to the threshold so that we can back most of this this video up on Odyssey. So I have to get to 300 subs on YouTube. Even if you don't watch on there, but you have an account, throw to subscribe just to bump the numbers up so we can hit that threshold. Um, But yeah, uh, fresh off the New Jersey Libertarian Party State Convention this past weekend. If you didn't see it uh, up on YouTube as well as on the Facebook and in the past history in my Twitter scroll, uh, you'll see the live videos of Dave Smith, Scott Horton. Uh, you'll see some stuff, you know, posts on there from the event. It was fantastic. They blew it out. Absolutely incredible. Both of them did an amazing job. Uh, people were pumped. We had tons of people at the event. And so if you didn't get a chance to check that out after this, not right now, after this, Go back and look at those videos and definitely check out what they had to say. Some fantastic messaging. So the theme for this week is, uh, amongst other things, uh, tools that the government uses to basically keep us down. Um, They have a ton of different things in their toolbox that they can use, one of which is the judicial system and the criminal justice system in this country. That thing that you think you know, is that buffer between us and them and their ability to take our rights away and destroy our freedoms and liberty? Mm, not so much. I, it is not the most perfect thing in the entire world to do that. Ultimately, we are responsible for, you know, uh, making sure that we are preserving our rights and our liberty. I have two amazing guests. Um, they are here all the way from our Soviet sister state on the other end of the country, the other side of the country. These two West Coasters are joining us today. I got Nicholas Wildstar and I got Angela McArdle. How's it going, both of you? Fantastic. Thank doing great. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So uh, anyone who is unfamiliar, uh, Nicholas, you are running right now to vie for uh, the soon-to-be, and I'm knocking on wood, vacated governor's seat in the state of California. Um, really quickly, for anyone who doesn't know you, just who are you and you know wh- what's your role out there? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Wildstar. I was the 2018 Libertarian candidate for California governor and I ran again in 2014 as an independent and am running again, as Matt said, hopefully in this special election, if we are able to successfully recall Gavin Newsom. It looks as if we'll be able to, since we were able to collect over 2 million signatures to have him recalled. Um, I was a big signature gatherer for that effort. I've been out for the past few months in the community, petitioning, collecting signatures, and have been a very involved community activist for over a decade now. So um, I continue to advocate for libertarianism, even in my 2022 campaign now for California governor. Awesome. Awesome. I love to hear it. And uh, look, I don't think you should need any introduction, Angela. I mean, you've been on the show before, but definitely if anyone's new, I want to make sure that they're introduced to you. Um, What's kind of your role out there in California and what are you working on right now? Sure thing. So I chair the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. I'm also on the executive committee for the California State Libertarian Party. And I've been working really hard defying these uh, lockdown orders, helping small businesses and specifically restaurants 
figure out how to stay open during this thing, how to, you know, kind of squeak by without getting a government detection and what to do if you get hit with fines, uh, shutdowns and, you know, bad press and everything you can imagine. So it's been really overwhelming and intense, but it's been incredibly rewarding to fight that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think telling those stories is going to be the most effective way to show, you know, the normies and the people that have been, you know, maybe only kind of slightly inconvenienced by everything that was going on, that's been going on, just kind of the nuclear fallout that's come from everything that we've experienced over the last 13 months as a result of COVID and every other excuse known to man that they've been using to basically declare martial law and, and do whatever the hell they want. Um, all right, so I, I, I want to really quickly highlight if anyone, I always forget to do this to like the very end. I don't want to do that this go around. If you want to support Nicholas and what he's doing out there, I'm going to throw his uh, website up on the screen if my computer is working today. There we go. It is wildstar2022.com, wildstar 2022 dot com definitely hit up that website donate um if you can you know volunteer some time and stuff like that uh, also reach out in that way um all right nicholas yes what please. what compelled you to run what, what what is really kind of like your your inspiration for you know not only pushing to get um you know hair newsome out of office but also to uh occupy that that seat as the governor of california seeing the lack of leadership in the community. I mean, that's the one thing is a lot of these politicians always talk about what they want to do to improve the homeless situation or joblessness or poverty or any of the communal problems that we all experience. But yet, once they get elected, of course, we rarely see any actual results in our community. Um, so just seeing that growing demand among the people in my own neighborhood and throughout the state. I mean, every time there was an issue, a state issue, the governor pretty much is either non-existent or not the current one, or not only the current one, but the previous one, Jerry Brown, and um, even Arnold Schwarzenegger, who ended up replacing Gray Davis, who was a Democratic governor that was recalled here due to his inactivity and um, pretty much lame duck uh, you know, stance as a governor. So we want somebody that's more involved, somebody that's going to take a more hands-on approach and it's just going to cut through all of the fat. You know, um, yep. we also have had a long standing establishment of elitism here in California and it pretty much just dictates politics. And that's what's ran off many of the businesses, small and large, many of the homeowners, many of the people that come to this state seeking a better life. And of course, um, through the struggle of day-to-day -day life and you know rising costs of living, have ended up seeing that dream turn to a nightmare. And we wanna turn that around for everybody here in the state. And I'm one of those people myself, so I figure why not put my name out there as an opportunity uh, to serve as a representative versus the oligarchs. Right. Yeah, no, that that's uh, the the um, the need for people that understand that I think is is huge. Right. Um, and and I would imagine, you know, part of your job in kind of like moving in that direction and vying for those that position is like educating people as to, you know, why certain issues are so important, even if they don't directly affect them. Right. Or at least they don't directly affect them yet. Um, right. So I, one of the one of the things that happened recently in the past for you that you've personally kind of lived through is uh, a situation with essentially our justice system and and our our court system. Um, really, kind of generally, can you you know lay out how that played out? Um, and and you know afterward, I know Angela, you got involved in it to to kind of help. Um, uh, you know, kind of fight back, so to speak. Um, and so I, I would love to hear kind of like how you worked into it. So, you know, how, how did it all kind of like start out? Sure. In 2018, uh, September of 2018, I appeared in court on some traffic citations. These were merely, merely just traffic tickets that I appeared in court for. 
And um, <clears throat> with me doing so, hey, I like that comment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with me doing so, actually. Watching before, from Uganda, by the way. We, we are uh, international today. <laughs> uh, in me making these court appearances, I chose to exercise my right to freedom of press and, you know, be a citizen journalist and uh, catalog my, um, my court appearance. And of course, you would think under the First Amendment and the Constitution, I would be able to do so. But uh, apparently, according to court rules, you know, you're not allowed to record in court. So I was told this by the judge and I refused to letting him know I was again exercising my uh, rights under protected by the Constitution. Uh, to which they did not like. <laughs> so I was escorted out of the courtroom uh, in both situations. This was this happened twice again in September. Mm -hmm. And um, I was dismissed from the courtroom pretty much. Uh, afterwards, I had found out almost a year later that I had charges for contempt of court against me for those court appearances for not obeying the court order uh, which was basically the judge telling me to put my cell phone away. And I think this stemmed because, uh, stemmed from me putting those videos on YouTube and mm. one of them pretty much going viral and got uh, almost 2 million, 3 million views, I believe. And um, that upset the district attorney's office. I also had a lawsuit against them for them um, violating my constitutional rights, again, in a... Uh, in a civil suit. So they had more than multiple reasons to make an example out of me through this yeah. court case. So um, no, they, they uh, the only thing that they hate worse than someone being defiant when they give you an order that's obviously unconstitutional and unjust is when you show everyone else and make an ass of them publicly. <laughs> right. like, that's even worse, right? Like it's it's almost like, you know, they're, they're kids that are like, you know, they're the bully in the schoolyard. And the moment that like you show everyone else in the schoolyard that they're they're a, they're a bully, I think is, you know, what what makes them double down on, you know, what they're doing. It's like, it's, it's, exactly. it's crazy. It's crazy. Right. Now so, they want to be even more harsh against you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it, they've done one thing that's unconstitutional and they're like, you haven't seen unconstitutional yet. And they're going to like double down on it. Right. Like, um, all right. So I you you ended up with what? Two contempt charges from that. Um, three. You, three contempt charges. So uh, are those still pending or have they been adjudicated? Actually, I was uh, I recently had a trial and was prosecuted against and was found guilty by a jury. So um, it was actually six counts of contempt of court. It was two per court appearance. There was a third court appearance where, where I wasn't even recording in court. It was simply just the language that was being used between me and the judge. And uh, the, again, the judge didn't like my attitude, had me ar arrested right there on the spot for contempt of court, but then I was released after serving nine days in jail um, and charged with contempt of court again. So I then had six contempt of court charges. Again, recently I was found guilty of that and was sentenced to um, 40 hours community service, 30 days in jail uh, with the stay on that pending me completing one year of informal probation. Oh, and to top it all off, I had to pay five hundred and seventy dollars in fines so instead of just one form of punishment i was given all of the above i there, there's nothing like uh being detained against your will and then having to pay for your own freedom isn't that fantastic it's like uh you, you know it's like thank you may i have another uh you know i so angela how do you kind of factor into this I, where did you get involved in the 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 case or this situation well, I mean, I've been following along for a couple of years now, but passively because hearing about it, it's like, well, this is absurd and nothing's going to come of it. That, that's really what I thought. So I was quite shocked to hear that, you know, he had been found guilty and there was sentencing hearings coming forward and so on and so forth. But to give you a little bit of backstory and in 2010 or 2011, uh, my good friend Katie McCall was a midwifery student. 
she's actually already a certified midwife, but she was having to get her license again in the state of California because she, I believe, had received it in Arizona. She ended up delivering a, a baby in an emergency, uh, saving the baby's life. The baby was born with something called shoulder dystocia. Someone who didn't like her in her midwifery community heard about it and reported her to an administrative agency. And she went through you know, a very similar absurd trial that Nick did. Um, and they wanted to throw her in prison. She's a single mother, literally saved someone's life, but she did it without an occupational license. Yeah. So we ended up, uh, even though she was found guilty, which was atrocious, of uh, committing of a medical malpractice, uh, practicing medicine without a license, so on and so forth. Even though no one was hurt, people were saved. So we wrote letters of leniency to the judge and got her out of this ridiculous, I think they were recommending four years in prison time for her and got it pushed down to Caltrans Community Service, if you can imagine that, picking up garbage on the side of the road Mm. and uh, hundreds of hours of additional community service and like $10,000 in fines. So... The justice system is a train wreck, but, you know, I remembered that when I heard about what Nick was going through and I was like, I think we can do the same thing. You know, let's just, I'm going to instruct everyone how to do it. Let's, let's rally behind our, our guy, you know, and let's write letters. So that was how I got involved, you know, and and I think everybody knows I work in the legal system. I'm a paralegal and I, I do a lot. I do mostly litigation, but I've dealt with a little bit of criminal attorney uh, criminal stuff as well and you know administrative court is my new the rodeo that i'm you know feel like i'm the circus the the rodeo clown in <laughs> yeah so i'm just constantly constantly immersed in this stuff uh yeah fortunately i enjoy it yeah well so um did did the letters get taken into consideration when it came to sentencing or or anything like that i mean was that brought up or is it just something that we feel like that kind of like you know push things at least in a less punitive uh direction nick i think you know better than anyone else yes they played a very instrumental role in um swaying the judge's decision i think in him knowing that there were more eyes on my case than expected And um, of course there were more demands that my rights be upheld since there were other people that felt like their rights were in jeopardy as well. Um, You know, speaking out against what was happening, then that again, put a little bit of pressure on him to make the decision that he did. Because as soon as the sentencing hearing had began, the first thing that was discussed were those uh, letters of leniency, Mm -hmm. uh, which I believe he had named off and um, the people who had sent them, Spike Cohen was one of the people who sent the letter, thankfully, and uh, helped bring a lot of attention to this injustice as well by sending out a tweet, as simple as that, you know? <laughs> uh, so I got a lot of incredible support and in, 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 with what Angela did as well. So um, it helped again, informed many people that were completely unaware about what was happening to get involved and they sent letters and unfortunately there were uh, or should i say there was one person that did write a letter uh requesting that i pretty much be prosecuted against and um that was actually by a libertarian party member wow wow um that's that's incredible all right so before I even get to that, because I, I know that's an additional issue that um, that Angela wants to discuss, um, or or it's kind of in that vein. Um, the the first of all, it's probably good Angela didn't ask me to write a letter because I don't think it would have carried much weight if I kept calling the judge a tyrant. Um, <laughs> we could have just held that one back, you know. Um, There's criteria. There's yeah. criteria for these letters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, you, you know, you've you've uh, misspelled treasonous asshole here. So, um, but uh, no. So I'm 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 happy. I the one thing I'm concerned about is like this. This is a, a semi-positive result, 
but just to call people's attention to the fact that you need a bunch of people requesting leniency for someone who didn't violate any law. There's, it is literally a victimless crime, and it's an abomination to call it a crime because there was no crime. It was, you're essentially filming a public proceeding that anyone can walk into. There's absolutely no reason why there should have been anything attached you know, to, to those allegations or, or to those accusations. Um, but so to, to the point of having this one detractor, what was the nature of it? Why would someone who is inside of a movement who is, um, you know, supposed to stand for liberty and freedom, is supposed to stand against the state and state overreach? And, you know, I, I know I'm a little bit more radical than most, but, you know, at least against tyranny like this. Um, what what was the impetus for a letter like that to be written, you know, not in your corner, but to the exact opposite? I'm not sure from his response since I did contact him, because when the letter was sent, it was sent in his, I guess, government name. <laughs> and yeah. I'm used to known um, by his nickname. So when I read the name, I'm like, it, it, that can't be who I think it is because I know him personally. And, you know, yeah. He seemed to be a pretty nice guy, you know, yeah. as well as someone who did actually support me and was instrumental in helping me um, promote my campaign for governor when I was running as a libertarian candidate. Mm -hmm. So it was extremely, you know, uh, striking and shocking to me that this person in particular, again, chose to spoke out against me. So I, before I just went to the public ranting, you know, on a tangent, I went to him first and said, yeah. hey, is this you? Did you actually write this letter? And he confirmed it by basically saying, you know, um, I misjudged your character and there are laws that need to be respected and you broke that. And because of that, you need to be disciplined pretty much. Uh, this is a summarization of the letter. Uh, mm -hmm. but it had a lot of uh, prejudiced tones to it that basically were insisted that I needed to be put in my place for behaving in a way that was uncharacteristic yeah. uh, of any person, not just anyone as someone running for office, but for someone in general. So that alarms me to say that even if I wasn't a candidate running for office, he would still feel this way, you know? Mm. Uh, which is antithetical to the libertarian principles, as you said, you know, the party itself is supposed to stand against um, victimless crimes, you know, and uh, of course, government overreach. And this is a perfect example of that when I do have the constitutional right to freedom of press. I do have the constitutional right to a free uh, uh, or, pardon me, to a public uh, trial. Mm -hmm. And this is a public place. I'm exercising my constitutional protected right to record this um, this situation. And it was only just my own court case. I wasn't recording every court case that happened that day. It was just my own. So I don't know what encouraged him to feel that way other than his own, you know, dislike for me personally. Yeah. I. What's your assessment on it, Angela? Were you privy to the letter, the contents, the individual, or any kind of that back and forth? Um, I, I didn't engage in any back and forth with, with a guy who, who I also know and have considered a friend and have worked with in the past, and he's helped me on my campaign. I would just say that, you know, sadly, we're not oriented towards freedom in the Libertarian Party right now. We're oriented towards gamesmanship, factional disputes, owning who we think are perceived enemies, which apparently is other Libertarians. Um, if the LP continues on this path, it will never make the world a freer place to live. This mm. is not the way that we should be behaving and engaging with each other. It, it blows my mind that someone would think this is acceptable. We're supposed to be achieving a freedom for everyone in the world, not just like the 10% of the Libertarian Party who we think completely agrees with us. Right. And it's sad that there are Libertarian Party members as well as officers that believe that we need to be um, we need to be responsive to the state. We need to be subjected to some bit of authority in order to maintain discipline in our society, as well as prosecution of 
unjust laws, you know, and us having to adhere to them. Um, this person in particular, he's actually an, a, on the Judicial Committee for the Libertarian Party of California. And I'm looking at the Libertarian Party platform right now under judicial. The first thing it says is the only crimes are crimes of violence, of threat, of violence, property loss, and fraud. Nothing about what happened to me fell under that category. What's you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yet again, yeah. this person in particular felt the need to go out of his way to write a letter to the judge to insist that I basically have the book thrown at me for this victimless, nonviolent crime where no property or person was harmed. Well, I got to say, honestly, and so, you know, full disclosure, you're, you're talking to someone who um, I now pretty much identify as an ANCAP. Um, you're who I want running. You're, you're, you're the person I want defying tyranny when it's obvious that your, your natural rights, independent of some stupid, excuse my language, fucking piece of paper somewhere, says that you can or can't do something or a judge who doesn't care what the paper says and just decides to go rogue and make up law as they go. Um, you're who I want running. Like, I, I don't want you to suffer punishment. I want you to have the bully pulpit so that you can tell a bunch of other people, guess what? I'm gonna try and reform this thing from the inside, but even if I can't, do not listen to these bureaucrats who decide that they can just make up law as it goes and violate your your natural rights, not even your constitutional rights, your natural rights, you know, because something is written somewhere on a piece of paper. Um, exactly. So I, I have a theory, and I would love to hear kind of both of your opinions on this. Um, the Libertarian Party, there's not very many, um, like, you know, it's it's like, I don't know how nerdy y'all are, but, you know, I, it's like Lord of the Rings reference. Like, Libertarians don't just spring up out of the ground, right? Like, Libertarians come from other places to Libertarianism. It's very rare. There are some, but it's very rare that someone is, like, born and raised a Libertarian and comes <laughs> to the party, right? So people come here carrying baggage, Right. Like they have baggage from these other places that they've come from. And in most cases, they're coming from one of the establishment, you know, two parties that we're constantly fighting against. And I think it's just really difficult for them to, like, shed that baggage when they get here, because, like, you know, there doesn't necessarily need to be a purity test. But to, to your point, Nicholas, like when you look at the planks, like if you take issue with one, that's fine, but you can't just ignore it. Like, especially if you're advocating for something that is the complete antithesis of what most of us are, are you know, driving toward, right? right. Um, I w Would you say that's possible? I mean, is it just that people are coming here and like all of that crap, they just haven't been able to clear out of their system? Absolutely. I think it's, of course, a matter of you coming to terms with the libertarian identity. And a yeah. lot of people think they have this um part of the mindset where they're still stuck in it must be one or uh, one way or the other then yep. it's difficult for them to take into accordance that hey live and let live and that's right. the first thing about libertarianism i believe is the embrace of the golden rule you know even though it isn't a uh, part of the party platform it's a tenant of libertarianism that kind of transcends political party, uh, you know, ideology. And it's something that we can all agree on. Treat others how you want to be treated. So I do my best to introduce people uh, to libertarianism by starting there first and say, hey, do you think the means of violence should be used to enforce this good idea, whether it be free health care, free education, or guns for everybody, or whatever the case may be, should force be a vehicle for that? And almost everybody that I speak with says, no, it shouldn't be. And that's what makes them more libertarian than they think. It's just, again, having spokesmen that are going to come out and contest against the establishment in a way to where they can rally the people behind them. I feel like I've done that in a way to where it's 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 um, receive universal uh, kind of response and support 
which is why I do have a lot of people supporting me that may not agree with everything that I say or may do, but still feel as if, hey, if your rights are violated as, as an individual, then most likely it's going to feel, um, you know, harm me. And yeah. I don't want that of you because I don't want that of myself. So yeah. even with what happened with me, um, this judge that decided to, again, prosecute me instead of dismiss the case, he acted outside of his authority because if his, if he's swearing to uphold the United States Constitution, yet putting court rules over the Constitution, then something's wrong here. You know, yeah. the Constitution is supposed to be the supreme law of the land. But um, if you watch my videos from the trial, because I did record it, they actually broadcast it live on YouTube, if you can believe that. Um, so to add insult to injury, <laughs> they broadcast live on YouTube the trial of me being prosecuted for video recording and putting it on YouTube. So, <laughs> I, I, so it's just the court rule, and the court rule is that no cell phones are allowed in court. That is not a law. You know, it, it wasn't uh, a penal code. And um, it wasn't legislated on. So uh, it had no lawful application whatsoever. But yet again, I was prosecuted on the grounds of it being lawful. Yeah. And, and one point I keep coming back to is laws cannot take away your rights. Like laws cannot take away your rights just because it's written down somewhere. And because someone with a gun says that they're going to enforce it does not mean that it trumps your natural rights to be able to speak your mind, protect yourself, you know, have privacy of uh, and, and property ownership and property rights. All of those things, like the only reason why they get away with it is because no one fights back. No one pushes back and says, no, I'm going to do this. This is my right and, and my ability to do this. Um, you know, I, so Angela, we, we were talking, I know you had to, uh, uh, go check the door real quick. Um, so, uh, we were talking about kind of like people coming to the Libertarian party with baggage from, you know, probably coming from, you know, the other two major parties that are, that are in the country and not necessarily being able to shed the, that baggage, whether it be, you know, the more left side of the aisle, or the more right side of the aisle, um, do you think there's any teeth to that? And, you know, what, what, why can't we, you know, uh, unify behind fighting a common enemy like the one that's in the, the background behind Nicholas? Well, you know, I think that I think that the Libertarian Party several years ago started chasing the culture instead of creating its own culture or being mm. oriented towards freedom or being counterculture. And part of the culture right now, and, and it has been since at least 2013, is to engage in hardcore tribalism and to other people and to see people as enemies. And we have started, we've seen the United States like narrow down who you can consider your ally until it's just this tiny little sliver. And unfortunately, the Libertarian Party has followed that trend instead of being counter to it. So now we have, you know, I highlight a lot of the stuff that, that comes out of what I think is like the super woke, you know, like far left factional fighting within the LP. But we can see that it occurs sometimes on the more conservatarian right side of the party too. That people with well, this whole Nicholas is Nicholas is living proof, right? Like yeah. we need law and order, and you're like, well, no, we need freedom and liberty, and the the cops and and the justice system should be held to a stricter standard than we are. But yeah, you fight it from both sides. Yeah, it's, it's insane to think that someone was annoying in court. So we want to lock him up for six years, waste taxpayer money on it, ruin his family and his, and it, you know, like the list goes on and on. And then yeah. what do we see come of it? $570 in court fees and community service. Was it worth, like, just from a purely unemotional cost benefit analysis, was it worth that? Yeah, that doesn't seem very libertarian either. Like the entire thing is just insane. Uh, we need to check ourselves and, you know, the government is our enemy. Other libertarians are not. I'd like to say that most other people are not, you know, libertarian or not. I don't try to think about people at, in, in the context of like, they're my enemy. They're on my team. That's just yeah. not a good way to live life. 
Well, I, quite frankly, I can tell you from personal experience just over my own little kind of journey within the last 15 to, to 18 months. I mean, immediately when I meet someone or I talk to them online, I, you know, I'm sizing them up and the way that I'm sizing them up is would they send the government to my house with a gun if they disagreed with me, right? And if the answer is no, fantastic. We're going to find some common ground somewhere. If the answer is yes, you're not on my team. You're on the government's team, right? right. Like, and that's not the team I'm on, right? And that's not the team any of us should be on. But, you know, at, at the heart of it, um, you know, here's the other thing that people completely miss, and it's both inside the Libertarian Party as well as outside the Libertarian Party. Politics is downstream from culture, right? Culture changes and then politics. Like, there's never been a situation where all of a sudden there was a law and then culture adapted to the law. That's not the way it works. The only time that those things have been tried has been things like prohibition and culture didn't adapt to it and it railed against it and destroyed prohibition. Right. Like those things like the culture has to change first. So what Nicholas, what you're doing is changing culture. Right. I, I think the problem with the people that want to kind of like go along to get along and be like all inclusive and stuff, there's I mean, there's no problem with that sentiment. I, I, if anyone wants to be called whatever, call them whatever, like if you want to be respectful. Right. But at the same time, there's a dynamic here where it's like you need to set a precedent of anti-government, right? So if, if your thought is, I want to make the government make you call me something, we're not on the same team. Like, we're right. not, right? If, if you want to be pissed off at me and yell and say, you should call me this, then that's fine. You have every right to do it. And that's part of, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of speech and, and kind of, you know, reaping what you sow. Um, you know, I, so let me ask you, Nicholas, about some, some other kind of like platform pieces that you're working with here. What would you say the, the, the plan of attack should be to reform criminal justice in the state of California as well as in this country? Are there some basic points that we need to hit on to at least get this thing moving in the right direction? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is make sure that our law officials aren't acting outside of law. That's what's happening right now. And my case is a perfect example of that. You have law officials that swore to uphold the United States Constitution, yet on the record say that this has nothing to do with constitutional rights. That's absurd, especially if it violates your rights um, and uh, that are protected by the Constitution. So until we get to the point to where we as a public can actually trust our law officials to act lawfully, then we're going to continue to have problems and civil um, disobedience and discourse among uh, our society. Uh, because we again feel like we have, you know, people acting above the law. Yeah. Uh, no, no society is going to be sustainable in that type of environment. And it's not like I'm advocating for people to go against government authority, if it's unjust and it's uh, and they're using the veil of righteousness to enforce on us unconstitutional, unlawful, inhumane, you know, laws, then we have the moral right to fight back, you know, and yeah, we freaking do yell it, yell it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know what your constituency is like, but I just want someone who's going to be like, yes, like, yeah, let's do exactly. it. <laughs> Believe it or not, I got some like that, but others are like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> are you even American? I mean, I don't get what's going on here because yeah. <laughs> the uh, heart of the American spirit is rebellion to authority. You yes. know, you as an individual, who owns you, you know, uh, who can tell you what you can and cannot do with your own body? Who can tell you what you can and cannot think or who you can and cannot love? You know, no one should be able to dictate that for you as an individual. But yep. we've lost all sight of that here in America because we think that the government should have a role to play in that somewhat. So it's now being used as a vehicle of oppression against other people. Yeah. And, and what about police, police departments? Is there, 
some some major kind of like high level issues you think need to be tackled pretty quickly here in order to fix that. I mean, they are essentially the mechanism of oppression um, when it comes to, you know, that very first line where the state meets the people. Right. And I think, yeah, Senate Bill 2. California is one of, I think there's like four states in the United States that don't have an official system to strip police officers once they're found guilty of misconduct of, of their badges. Uh, there's something in the California legislature that's floating around right now. I think it's just gone out of committee and it's called Senate Bill 2 and that would actually quote unquote correct it. Uh, you know, I think it's probably not going to be a perfect system, but uh, it sets up like a like a little committee to do police oversight and decide whether or not someone should be stripped of their badge. And it includes so people who are not police officers who would be on that committee, including people whose families have been victims of police brutality. So I think that's a step in the right direction. Uh, everyone likes to talk about how progressive California is. It's kind of shocking that we don't have more police oversight. We need it. And that's the thing is we're talking about um, small progress opposed to progress in total. Um, and I know it's a lot of people that out uh, that are out there to say some progress is better than no progress, but to me, it still just falls short of in progress in particular. I mean, that is great, but how about just ending qualified immunity? How about just ending the police bill of rights? How about just holding police officers to the same laws that are imposed upon us? And for some reason, it's been again embraced that uh, police officers need to have this extra layer of protection that separates them from we the people. And um, even in their line of duty, they're allowed to make mistakes that we aren't allowed to make. And, uh, you know, if they shoot somebody's dog or shoot somebody, period, and says, oops, it was a mistake, and, you know, uh, I guess through some bit of defense, uh, end up finding out they're protected by their job. That's absurd. We shouldn't have automatic protection for any irresponsibility because if we do, then of course nobody's going to be able to be held accountable for any bad actions. Yeah. yeah police no, unions, po police unions are so powerful. Uh, that's we got to figure out a way to to break their their grip on you know everything that happens uh, at the local level, at the county level. That would really Right. That would help. And I, man, it's something I think about a lot. We've actually, in LA County, we've got a data policy group that may be tackling that a little bit, you know, trying to whittle away maybe at their budget a little bit. Just, yep. yeah. Yeah. No, even now, have some... gangs infiltrating the law enforcement departments down there. And I'm sure that's happened throughout the state. But right now, it's all eyes on LA because, you know, there's been a lot of exposure coming out. Um, but I'm pretty sure with an audit of, um, you know, law enforcement personnel and procedure, then we'll come to find out that there's more corruption and um, gang activity happening in law enforcement than we think. I, yeah. Look, look. when there's black markets, it's naive to think that the the folks that are responsible for cracking down or regulating them are, aren't bought and sold. Okay, like that's the rule of thumb, right? Like the the moment something's regulated, especially if it's regulated through the government, the first thing to be bought and sold is the regulator. That's basically where where it happens, right? Like you know, presidents can be bought; they have been in the past. Um, and you know, the robber barons learned that the hard way because the one that they backed ended up dying, um, and the antitrust vice president took over and and screwed them over. Um, but the, the theory still remains. I think part of the, the, the biggest piece of militarizing the police and giving them this kind of otherworldly authority to kind of crack down and, and bust heads and essentially kill without any recompense right. is the war on drugs. Um, you guys are, are much better on it in California than most states. But, you know, to, to you, Nicholas, are, are, are you all the way there? I mean, you don't have full legalization within California, right? No, we do not. And right now it's being considered about, um, I guess, decriminalizing psilocybins and, you know, authorizing the sale of mushrooms. I advocate for complete de decriminalization of all substances. If I were governor, that's exactly what I would do. 
um, just as if Port just as Portugal did, you know, and make the focus more so on treating people with substance abuse um, problems, you know, and mental health problems, getting them the help that they need versus treating them like criminals. And that's still the culture right now in law enforcement, even with, um, you know, marijuana legalization or, you know, making it recreational is uh, it's still being treated as a uh, as a drug and people right. are being prosecuted criminally because of their possession of it or sale of it or whatever the case may be. If you're an unlicensed vendor, a.k.a. a drug dealer, um, a street drug dealer, then you're a criminal uh, versus if you get that piece of paper from the state and authority and approval slip, you know, a permission slip, now you're a-okay. And that should not be right. We shouldn't have to pay and have our natural rights as an entrepreneur to create a business and provide a service to the public to be codified and us be charged a fee for it. Yeah. No, they're really good at taking away your rights and then selling them back to you, right? Oh, like, yeah. They're, they're fantastic <laughs> at that crap, right? Um, to, to, I'll, I'll flip this one to, to you, Angela. Um, the, the typical process is the government gives a little bit, gives way a little bit, right? Um, and then someone declares victory, right? Um, how do we combat that? Because like, like you said, Senate Bill 2, sure. right? It's a good start. But it's it's not the ideal solution, right? Like the ideal solution is much further down that road. Um, but so often we just get de derailed, and and it's by design, right? Like the government gives a little bit, and they're like, "See there, be happy, shut up, leave us alone, and and let us go back to what we're doing." How do we fight that? Sure. So we need to actually take a lesson from the playbook of of the left on this one. Look at what they've done with healthcare. They have screamed and screamed and screamed for every regulation for some sort of universal health care. You know, they got Obamacare that got repealed. Uh, California keeps trying to push through its own version. I believe we are taxed now. If you don't have health care, we're taxed at the state level. They push, 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 push. Anytime they get a little win, they take the win mm. and they celebrate it internally, but they scream what an injustice is and they keep pushing. Mm. And libertarians aren't so good at that right. we tend to take a small win and be like mm, good enough it'll come yep. eventually you know i'm glad we got the one prop 64 which is what legalized uh the recreational sale of cannabis in california has been a huge disaster it has blocked everyone out of the white markets lots of people invested millions and millions of dollars in companies and it's now 2021 the Prop 64 didn't set up any reasonable path to going into business. Most of the people have lost all of their money or they just have products that are sitting on shelves getting stale and, you know, basically unusable. So I would, you know, I tried to push a better initiative. I tried pushing the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative a couple of times. It's just almost like a straight decriminalization. You could have up to 100 pounds of the stuff, you know, or yeah. 100 plants. That's all. That would really, you know cover almost everyone and a 10% tax cap. But instead, everybody just kind of was like, yeah, Prop 64, close enough. We just got to keep pushing, man. We got to be more persistent. Yeah, got to be more persistent. Well, and, and and that's what we're going through right now in New Jersey. It's not even legalized yet because we got to wait two years for them to put all of the regulatory infrastructure mm -hmm. in place. And, mm -hmm. you know, the random committee of people that's going to be put together appointed by the governor. I'm sure that'll be impartial and, you know, completely productive in terms of who they put on there. Um, you know, but all sarcasm aside, they put through basically a, a first generation legalization and decriminalization bill that it's still not going to remove the black market, which is right. the number one thing that needs to be done with legalization and decriminalization. There's still gonna be young black males in New Jersey that go to prison because they have more than uh, six grams on them, right? And and there are six ounces. And that's gonna be because those, those individuals have to operate in a black market or they have the opportunity to because the amount of taxation regulation the licensing fees it increased the cost so right. you know rich white kids no problem just go to mommy and daddy ask for a hundred dollars and they go get what they want 
But, you know, if, if you're basically impoverished, and it doesn't even matter the color of your skin, if you're a poor white kid, you're still going to be buying on the black market. You're not going to be buying at one of these, like, you know, hoity-toity, quarter-million-dollar license, you know, dispensaries that's out there. So I, they, they, I, I agree with you. I think we do have to take a lesson from the left in that we, ha we can't be happy with anything short of what our ideal solution is. Exactly. And the ideal solution is, you know, just rip it to the ground, right? Yeah. Like take it down, you know? Um, Nicholas has to be a little bit more controlled because he's running for office, so we don't want to scare too many people <laughs> out. But, um, you know, that that's really kind of where I come at it from. Um, let me ask about education really quickly. Um, you know, education in California is just as expensive, if not more so than in New Jersey. Um, what does that environment look like post-COVID? Um, and, and, you know, Nicholas, what do you think the prescription is there to make education work better for people in state? Well, the one thing about this pandemic is it's actually made more parents embracing of homeschooling their children, mm. uh, which beforehand they rallied against heavily, believe it or not. It's crazy. But uh, again, now you have many parents that are welcoming to that um, as being a method of education for their children. So that's great because now it gives those parents that were wanting to have that option um and better access and that's what's what um the people of california could benefit from with me as governor is having more opportunities to educate their children in more ways than one opposed to just in class um schooling or virtual learning you know other types of schools like charter schools or independent schools but just giving parents that choice themselves versus the state making the choice for them. Right now, that's the biggest problem is because parents feel like the government has taken all um, ability to choose for themselves away from them or for their children for that matter. So with the schools being shut down this entire time and many parents wanting to send their kids back to school, the governor hasn't made that easier in any way, nor has the team teachers unions. Um, so that's exactly what I'll be doing is, you know, breaking up those unions and that relationship because I'm not being backed by the teachers unions. I hmm. have no allegiance to them whatsoever, um, more than the people of California or the United States Constitution, which I'll be sworn to uphold and does not give government the authority to do anything having to do with education. It's sad that you, again, have to educate people along the way to say, I, I can't do that, believe it or not, and the government that exists shouldn't be doing that either. Yeah. I, Angela, are you hearing a ground squall of people saying, keep them closed? I, that's my, just keep them closed, starve the beast. Don't send them back. Don't let your kids be propagandized too. Like, <laughs> I do, I do hear it uh, with the caveat that I am sensitive to parents who have special needs kids, kids who are very, very autistic and on the spec, very high up on the spectrum, Understood. who relied on specialized schooling right. that unfortunately came from public schools. They're, they're desperate to have schools reopen. But then we're in this uncomfortable position, right? Where, okay, so, you know, from a pragmatic, uh, from a pragmatic standpoint, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you pay property taxes. You're forced to pay for these stupid things. You have special needs kids. You should be allowed access to that again, but they're not even going to let schools go back to normal. It doesn't seem like they want kids to be in these little plastic cubicles and small children to have to wear masks all day. Uh, it, it seems, it seems really dystopian and tyrannical and, and damaging, damaging to, to children as they're going through developmental growth. So, you know, I don't know what the, what the best answer is, but I do know that if we can carve out as much government control as possible, you know, like, like the government unions, teachers unions, bad news. If you want to, you know, if you want to organize privately, be my guest, but government unions are not a good thing. And, and the bureaucracy of uh, uh, like, there are so many tax dollars sucked up just into administrative positions. It's not, it's insane how much money goes yeah. to people who just sit at a desk and push papers all day. Right. They don't teach children. Six. Oh, yeah. 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 There's more of them, I think, than there are teachers. Right. We need to scrap those jobs. 
Well, th that's where Republicans have missed the, the boat on this one. The, the whole time they've been sitting there yelling, like, get them back to school, get them back to school. And I'm like, mm, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> you you want to send your kids back to the place where they're going to get indoctrinated more to the left, and then you're going to complain that your kids are more left. Like, I don't get the mentality. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm not exactly looking at, I mean, I have three kids. They're homeschooled. I will never put them in a government school yeah. because... The, the, the kids that end up going to the government school that gets reopened and they get used to being zipped into a plastic container and all this other stuff, what's that kid going to be, you know, when the government says, you know, go shoot grandma later on, are they going to question? No, it's just like, oh, well, you know, that's part of the programming. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, no, I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, starving the beast. And, and quite frankly, to your point with both teachers unions and uh, police unions, those are the two places where the government has a true monopoly on contract negotiations. You can't walk away. The only way to walk away is homeschool your kids. Don't right. send them in. Don't allow that that school district to like get to record that many more kids to get them more funding so that the union has more money to squabble over with the administrators. Um, uh, and any last thoughts on that, Nicholas, in terms of like education or, or kind of changes that really should come down the pike? Uh, you know, now that we actually have an opportunity to kind of look at education with schools shut or only half open. Yeah, I think people are starting to see the benefits of less government involvement in schools. And like you pointed out, even with school curriculum, uh, many people are seeing the benefit of that because they aren't having their children be indoctrinated by now by um, the government's choice as to what courses our children need to be taught. And that needs to change. We need to get government out of the school curriculum, out of school choice, out of school bathrooms. You know, it, it, it has no place in it whatsoever. And if more parents start making that demand, doing what Angela said, getting loud, getting vocal about it, and being, um, being pressuring in our stance, non-bending, you know, we, we cannot yield ever whatsoever. Right now we need to be more vocal about that position than ever before to let them know we're not going to accept anything less than exactly what we want. It's either that or you're fired, you know, yep. all of these politicians that aren't upholding their, um, not only their oaths, but their, uh, their, their campaign promises need to be replaced, you know, and Newsom is a perfect example of that. He's been go going back and forth like a yo-yo between his decisions and this being heavily influenced by major donors. And of course, the people's pressure on him through the recall now. So it wasn't until we got the numbers that we needed for the recall to where he started to uh, consider opening schools or opening up the businesses and the economy of this state before that happens. So that's why we definitely must stay vigilant in our demand for freedom. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, a question, my 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 brother in Georgia. Okay, uh, the the uh, swing state of Georgia now apparently, <laughs> thanks to Shane Hazel, um, is is chiming in here and asks. What cultural trend can libertarians start to get more people interested in more than just the left-right gravity well? What, what's kind of the low-hanging fruit, Angela, do you think culturally that we can get people to kind of like start to move in the direction of to break them of this, you know, kind of this misconception that their only choice is left or right? Music, entertainment, uh, that that we really need to get people that way. Uh, yep. uh, we need Back to take over, take over Hollywood, damn it. Take, take over Hollywood. <laughs> take over Hollywood. Let's, let's make all the jokes about the people running Hollywood be about libertarians. Uh, that would be pretty great. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's really important is to be involved in academia. You know, we've been spending all this time about uh, homeschooling your kids, and it's extremely important. We need to think about beyond that, what about, you know, college and trade school and training and things of that nature. Like, that is where young minds are molded. We really need to get a good handle on that process and yeah. take them away. I would yeah. say another one would be money. I mean, that's another one that we all can relate to and, and especially our younger people. Uh, but with the adults right now, we're paying 
and by taxation for an educational system that we aren't even able to utilize. So why are we continuing to do so and supporting a governmental system that takes our our, do, our dollars, takes our money, it's taxation without representation. And we have a government right now that's digging us deeper into debt through its uh, trillion dollar bailouts. And people need to know how it's going to affect their buying power in the future. This is not only going to affect us, the working class people of today, but of tomorrow. So we yeah. got to let our children know about this as well. And, you know, our future um, our leaders that are coming out of college right now, um, we're all going to be affected by what's happening with our, with our monetary policy and with our federal government right now inflating our dollar. The catastrophe of that is yet to be seen or felt. So we need to start acting now. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. You being on the West Coast, um, you, you're in a high cost of living state, just like I am in New Jersey. Um, what does fourteen hundred dollars get you? Like, <laughs> like, or, or even two thousand dollars? Like, I mean, I mean, hell, Gavin Newsom probably spent more than that when he went to the French Laundry for just himself, right? Like. Um, <laughs> You know, what, what does $1,400 get you? Like, what has been the, you know, have you heard any rumblings or opinions from your constituency and the people around you? Like, you know, was the stimulus even worth it to them? I mean, was their life even impacted or were they thankful? Were they happy that they got 1400 bucks? Two thirds of a month of rent. Right. <laughs> well, California went a little bit further and uh, created its own like UBI package, thanks to Newsom again, $600 yeah. a month, extra payments. And that's um, that's made a lot of low income people happy mm. and satisfied them and their demand and need for some bit of government aid right now throughout this pandemic. But uh, the majority of people in California are unable to live off that amount of money. And uh, really, with the gas prices increasing and now utility prices increasing and uh, back pay on, you know, rent and mortgage and other financial issues, that money isn't going to go far. And the way I break it down to people is to let them know this money that you're receiving now, you're going to be paying back for. This is your money that you're going to be paying taxes on and will continue to until the debt is paid off. So. Uh, we need to stop the bleeding and stop passing down debt from generation to generation. Yep. What are your thoughts on that, Angel? Oh, I agree. I mean, the creation of the Federal Reserve really opened the floodgates for horrible financial policy, and it's just getting worse every year. And what's so upsetting is conservatives don't seem to care that much about it either. They, they all passed... They passed all those stimulus packages. There were, there were like two people who didn't vote for them. Even Justin Amash, I think, voted present. Uh, Thomas Massey didn't vote for it. And I think Rand Paul, he either didn't vote for it or they had it when he was out of office because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So that is not like, that's like not even less, less than 2% who didn't vote for us. So disturbing. Yeah. So we really got to make a cultural shift on that. Absolutely. It's like no one cares about the future. No one plans for it. Look, I could click, clip this comment, Nicholas, for any of the folks that you come across who are Republican or I'll use air quotes conservative in California and they're hoping for a conservative. If the Republicans were so conservative and so principled about being economically conservative, the Tea Party would still be holding out. The federal government would still be shut down. Right. But that didn't happen. Right. They were bought and paid for a long time ago. Um, I think if anyone wants to make an argument to the, the fiscal conservatives that are out there, you have to vote libertarian. It's the only people that will stand up and give the finger to the legislature when they say we have to spend a penny more than we're taking in in revenue. It is like it is completely preposterous that Republicans continue to vote for these other Republicans who say, oh, yes, we're going to control spending and things like that. Oh, it's only a 10% increase in spending. We actually whittled it down from 12. See, we're winning. 
right? Like, it is completely ridiculous. Um, so cl clip that comment. Tell them if they want to get mad at someone, they can get mad at me. Come here to Jersey. You know, they won't come personally, though. They'll send some government agent to freaking do it and right. do the crap. But, uh, no, look, I, I want to wish you all the best. I want to wish you luck. Um, you know, look, regardless of what happens, you know, we're going to I'm going to keep pushing for you. I, ho I hope that the recall goes through. We get to have an open discussion about how California has been basically screwed over by its ele elected oligarchs as of right. late um, and, and what the solutions look like. Um, any parting comments while I, I, I throw your uh, website back up here on the screen again? I just want to say thank you to Angela McCardo. I mean, everything that you did to help me and my family was astonishing. And all of the people that responded to her call to action to help me by writing letters definitely helped in making sure that I, again, was not sent to jail <laughs> and am able to continue my campaign for California governor as a free man, as well as continue to be a contributing member to my family and uh, you know, be here for my wife and my son where I belong. So thank you so much. I, I cannot express enough gratitude to you for doing that, Angela. And um, and again, to everyone else that participated in, in that um, effort to, again, make sure that I was not sent to jail for a victimless crime. You are very welcome. I absolutely love and adore you and your beautiful family. And I'm really glad to have you as part of the Liberty community in California, even if it's the small L, just keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, I, look, everyone pay attention to Angela's run for Libertarian Party chair, especially if you are a dues paying member of the Libertarian Party. There's a lot of bullshit that gets slung around, especially on Twitter, about caucuses and what this person believes and all this other stuff. This proves to you that Angela's actions are pure and in the in the direction of liberty and pushing to help people not be exclusionary or any of the other crap that gets thrown out there. People's yeah. actions speak much louder than their words. If you haven't learned that about politicians um, in the past or in the present, then then I don't know. I can't help you. But um, actions definitely speak louder than words. And Angela's actions here as well as the rest of the time, uh, she's bringing it every single day. Hardest working person in the Libertarian Party that I know. Um, you know, and and look, just keep an eye on it. Uh, both you, please stick around in the 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 back uh, back room here for two seconds while I close this up. I want to say thank you very much for coming on, and I appreciate. It. I know your your time is very val valuable. Thank you again for tuning in. This is a quick reminder to subscribe, like, share, and comment to help get the message of liberty and freedom in front of as many folks as possible. See you next time on Why Libertarian. Thank you.